Welcome to Fable and the Verbivore. I'm Fable, Beth Stedman. I'm the Verbivore, Laura Johnson. And this is a podcast for writers who love to read. Readers who love to write. And anyone who loves words. Today, we are going to be talking about Marvel character dynamics and character relationships. And we have with us guest um, author, MJ McGriff, who is also um, a fantasy and adventure writer of the Macario Separator and the Secret Library. And she has a third book coming out very soon. Um, and she's also a Marvel fan, super fan, enthusiast, just like us. So thank you so much, MJ, for being a part of this conversation. I am so excited to geek out about Marvel. Like... <laughs> It's so excited. I'm Yay. so ready. Yay. Before we get started, would you just tell us something kind of what you're working on right now and a little catch up? Because I mean, we've had you on the podcast before. So if you're listening, you can go back and hear a little more about her work um, on that episode. But for right now, it's been a little while since we had you on. So just really quick, what are you working on right now? Yeah. So yeah. So like um, they mentioned before, like the Spellkeeper is coming out probably as of this recording, it'll be out yeah. already. Um, but it's the Spellkeeper. So it's the third book in the series. And like this conversation couldn't be more apropos because I relied heavily on Marvel for inspiration on integrating more than one hero, more than one types of magic, and just having a whole gang of people who may sometimes like each other or sometimes get on each other's nerves yes. to all come together <laughs> to defeat a bigger and better monster and magic and the stakes are super high. So that was really something that I'm working on right now is launching that book. And I'm just super excited about it because I get to introduce more characters and bring back everybody from books one and two. So that's really what's been on my brain lately. It's just kind of getting excited for launching that book. Well, I can't wait to read it. It sounds wonderful. MJ, I know that you love Marvel characters. Do you want to choose some relationships that you want to talk about first? You know, with Marvel, you have to kind of start at kind of like top level. Yes. when you're talking about people who've come out as leaders when it comes to Marvel. And so the first two that come to mind is um, Tony and Steve Rogers. Like they're, yes. they were two very strong characters that stood on their own and had their own series of movies. But when they came together in Avengers, it like seeing them come together, you didn't really know how that was going to go. And I just <laughs> loved seeing that and then once we kind of got used to them civil war came along and totally blew that up right mm -hmm. so I think Tony and Steve are really just I love seeing two powerful heroes actually have to work together because mm -hmm. normally one is normally powerful than the other one and one kind of falls back and you know yeah. Tony nor Steve will fall back on any sort of level for anything so. constantly even when they're on the same side they're constantly at odds about how to tackle something about yes steve's old school and tony is that technology all the way like, like yes. so you even just have yes. different those different approaches those different mindsets yeah. right and it's different perspectives on their lives right because if you yeah. see steve came in he's the dutiful soldier i do yes. what i'm told I follow orders and in order to save the world, you have to have order and rules. 
And Tony is like, I was in the middle of a desert and some dude put this thing in my chest. I survived that. I can do whatever it is that I want. And he broke every single superhero rule, such as he told everybody he was Iron Man at the end of the first movie. <laughs> like, so when you have those two kind of come together, one that follows the rules and one is like throws them out the window and let's do what we can. It's just so much fun to see. Yeah. And it creates so much great conflict and tension. I mean, it makes me think of James Scott Bell talks about having every character have a point of view and a perspective so that, and then putting those perspectives in conflict. And that's exactly what you have there. I mean, I think you did a great job laying that out and what that looks like. Um, Yeah. They have very competing interests, right. And it's a very mm -hmm. interesting um, study of character arc, because like I said, they were full characters before they came together. Mm -hmm. And I think that's why it worked so well is because Marvel took its time developing Steve Mm -hmm. alone and developing Tony alone and then having them come together knowing all of their backstories you're just like as a reader as a moviegoer you're like this is going to be horrible but they have to come together some kind of way and they kind of in Avengers they kind of don't they still like I still don't like you and I still don't like you but right now we have to do this thing yeah and we'll argue with each other later which I thought was super fun and realistic to watch. And at the end of the day, whether the characters are like superhuman or every day, they have to be relatable, right? Mm-hmm. So, so I, th- I love that character dynamic with them. Well, it's so interesting to watch, right? Like you just don't know where they're going to go. Like, are they going to end up fighting? Are they going to work together? Like, I don't know. I'm going to want to yeah. see. <laughs> yeah. And Civil War is by far, if you were to ask me what my favorite Marvel movie was, it'll be that one. Because just when they got to a point where they can respect each other, not only did things blow up, but now the roles got reversed. Mm. Tony is like, yes. because I, fo- I didn't follow the rules, people got hurt. Mm-hmm. And Steve is like, you want me to follow more rules that's going to get people hurt. And it totally yes. switched roles. And that was just fascinating to see both as a moviegoer and as a writer, because you know, yeah. like, I want to dissect all of those different points on how that even happened like how did that that get switched when you do a switch like that you have to like set it up right and they did such a good job setting it up like you could understand where both of those characters were coming from and why they chose the side that they chose or or changed their perspective in that way yeah exactly and even at the end of the day at, at the very end when Stanley has his little like cameo at the end as the FedEx guy and he delivers the phone and even Steve was like I know we're not talking right now, but if you call me on this phone, I'm there. And I loved that. So they couldn't be too mad at each other, but it wasn't a happily ever after ending either. So I thought that was pretty cool. The undercurrent of the sacrificial play that kind of comes out in their relationship is Captain Mm -hmm. America is constantly saying, I'm not sure that you're going to make that call. And Mm -hmm. I love that Tony is constantly stepping up as flawed as a character he is, it's yeah. not his first kind of innate stance, I think, to, to make that sacrifice. He is yes. he is selfish. The world kind of does yes. revolve around him. <laughs> like he is narcissistic. I, I love that yes. line where he's like, you know, a, a philanthropist, you know, playboy, all like, of these. Yep, yep, yep. But I love that when the chips are down, that that is the play that he gets to and their arcs kind of 
crossed in that way where Tony goes one way and Steve goes another. And it feels so beautifully um, kind of, they both round out a little bit. They both kind of balance out one, one is always self-sacrificing and he makes a choice that is for himself in the end, which I think is that beautiful, you know, that, that moment at the end of end game, um, which we're, we're going to give spoilers. So (laughs) when he's dancing with, um, when he's finally dancing with Peggy, like after all that has gone through with all the stories of him over and over again, sacrificing himself and his life for everyone. And then you have Tony kind of finally settle down, finally kind of Mm -hmm. get a different type of life. And then he does make that call to sacrifice everything that he's worked for, for everyone. It kind of is this beautiful moment at the end where you see those things come out. It is, Mm -hmm. it is. And I think as writers, it's a very wonderful lesson in how to take your time with your characters. Yes. Stuff does not happen over a chapter, over three chapters, or if you're writing a series of that magnitude, like over, you know, two books, like really just take your time and be intentional with the different moments because yeah like with Tony you can see it wasn't just one big decision it was all these little moments from when he almost lost everything in Iron Man 2 and Iron Man 3 had the PTSD yeah to having the visions in Ultron about all of his friends dying with Thanos if you weren't paying attention you would have missed it and then when you saw Thanos came like wait a minute and then you go back and watch it again and that piece was there right so it all made sense and you know so just to take your time creating those characters and being intentional with them like don't worry about the plotting the story so much like where's your character have to go then that will dictate kind of like what's going to happen in the book and what plot points need to happen, all that wonderful stuff. So I just love that about Marvel is they don't rush a thing. They take their time with everything. Yes. And character is that king, like character does drive where they go and, and they pay attention to the strings of the stories. I love that you mentioned that about Ultron because they're constantly pulling in strings from so many different places which it, it makes for satisfying storytelling because like you just said, you go back in and you're like, oh, they just did that. And they, they yes. totally set it up two, three movies before, which is amazing. They did. I mean, I, I joke all the time and I'm like, how they saved the world happened in Ant-Man. Yes. A little throwaway, throwaway movie with yes. all the comedy and everything. But the key to saving the world was an Ant-Man <laughs> that nobody even that. thought of would be there so when he comes in at the you know at end game and you're like that's right he was <laughs> stuck doing whatever and he solved the whole problem. he literally solved the whole problem i love that i love that you know even with who is in like a position of power and who is the you know the pecking order of the marvel that you have that that you have someone coming in and just completely changing the game and I do like Scott in general. I think he's one of those kind of lesser, lesser characters that's not talked about him as much. But I think his optimism, his enthusiasm, it's so important, especially in Endgame, when he's there kind of pepping everyone up, like being the cheerleader. (laughs) 
Yeah. <laughs> because that's what you need sometimes. You need that character who will come in and be like, no, this is like, we can do this. Like, <laughs> Right, right, right. And one thing can be said about Marvel is no character is wasted. They can be the side character through five movies and then it become like that pivotal point where they are the main one. Like we needed this person, even though they kind of played you know, kind of like the background, you know? So mm-hmm. I love that about Marvel is you pay attention to everyone because you don't know who's going to come into play or who's going to be more important, you know, in as the movies progress or as the story progresses that we're going to need that person. And I think, again, as writers, we have to be very aware of if we include people in the story, don't just have them there for the sake of having them there. Like they need to serve a purpose, whether it's right now or four books later, but treat them with the same care as you would with your main characters and your secondary characters if they play that. We talk about Chekhov's gun and like if you introduce a gun in the first act, it has to go off in the third or vice versa. But we don't think about that in terms of characters too. Like if you introduce a character, like how can that character come back later in the series or later and how can you you utilize all of them to their full potential? Um, Right, if you're gonna, it's kind of like if you give them a name, then they have to be important. Otherwise, why? Why are you making the reader remember who they are? (laughs) And then also you have that ability to pivot. Like when you've taken that time and that care with that character, it gives you so many places to go. Mm -hmm. Right. And and I, I think Marvel in doing that, they actually gave themselves so many places to go in like four and, you know, phase four, phase five. I'm like, I am here for whatever direction they go in. Just bring the characters back and I will, I will buy a ticket or watch a Disney series because they do give them that place. They give them the well-rounded, this is a person who has, you know, they have the flaws, they have positive things that they bring and then they can explore that and really dive in which mm-hmm. is so satisfying it is and like I said they they, they take their time and they're intentional so you know and, and I guess also too playing to fans because if like if you know if you have a series of books and one stands out as a favorite right mm-hmm. yeah then you know bring them back somewhere along the line or give them a bigger role to play mm-hmm. because I'm sure with like Avengers, I say, for example, where you really see Black Widow and it was like, she could have stayed there. She would have stayed in Avengers and it would have been just fine. It would have been just fine for me. But they saw that she was so important. They literally gave her an entire movie. And now we have her sister and her family and everything else. And it's (laughs) such a beautiful thing. And it's just like, thank you for that. (laughs) You know, did we want to talk her family first or her friendships? Because I really like, I really like her Oh, well, I, I love her family. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That's found family at its finest, I think. It is that family that you kind of just get thrown in with and that end up becoming more family than your actual family almost. Like, it, yes. Like, Melita is the mom and Red Guardian <laughs> is a dad and they're sitting at the table and you're like, yeah. I am here for this. Yeah. We're like, we're all spies, but it was kind of real. It was kind of, <laughs> you know. And you're just like, oh my gosh. It, it, and it lent itself to that, that little levity that we needed for yes. such heavy mm-hmm. themes. Like, yes. you know, she was trained as an assassin when she was little. And again, we bring it back to, there were so many gems in Ultron that nobody even realized it. Yes. Cause I went and watched it a couple of times. 
yeah. when she had that hallucination about that trauma about being mm-hmm. you know she right. couldn't have any children and, and going through that whole training and you see that and you're like oh my gosh and then you come to her movie and you have that kind of levity with the characters even though they were going through something super serious we need that as we go through like unpacking trauma we need that levity and as we watch it we definitely need that too and I I think it it took itself serious enough that we we knew it wasn't trivializing what it's talking about like it's not at all undercutting that but it's making it kind of bearable and also to show that we can find, you can find relationships, loving relationships that can give you the thing that you may be lost out on during a certain time in your life. You can find that and you can find that and found family that end up being those supports in ways that you don't expect. Exactly. And, and to think of it, Black Widow is a very serious character. Yeah. There's nothing comedic about her. And one of the things that my my editor taught me was that when you have a serious character, you need somebody funny. And that's why Yelena is hilarious because then you get that balance of it makes Black Widow funny, even though she's not inherently a funny character. There's nothing comedic about her, but pairing her up with her sister, it made every moment with them absolutely hilarious. So I think that's important too to remember when we have our characters, you can have somebody super serious. They don't have to be a goofball, but pair them with one mm-hmm. so that way at least they show them to be a human being and we as readers want to see follow that character and how their super seriousness gels with yeah a goofball with somebody who's always cracking jokes or something you know well it's that contrast again right like giving characters a different personality a different view and then when you do that then it almost makes the serious character more serious or we like understand them a little bit more in contrast to this other yes. character and and vice versa too and then they can play off of each other in really great ways which then adds exactly. conflict it adds humor it adds all these great dynamics to it exactly that sister dynamic right like which they nailed I loved that yes. even with like clothes as they're talking about <laughs> it has so many pockets you don't even yeah. know <laughs> and I'm great. like I'm one, I'm here for the pockets and yes. two, like the sharing of clothes. Like there was something so relatable. I, relatable, exactly about that. That you're like, oh, I get that. Like, <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I even think of just with me and my sister. And even though we are, there's an age gap that's much bigger between us, but we still go through the borrowing of clothes. And, you know, I look at her. If, if you paired my sister and her, I'm the more serious one as compared to her. Like she's the goofball. And it's just like, you serious right now? Like, but it felt like really relatable to see them kind of just like, you know, we just killed a bunch of people. You're not going to tell me to steal this car. Did you not just see all the stuff that we were doing? And you're going to get on me a bus still in the car. It was hilarious. I loved it. I loved it. Stealing, like, like yes. I've already done it. Do you want me to yes. just give it back? Give it back. Exactly. <laughs> I think even like the thing that she was talking about, because Black Widow lands in a certain way and she like yes. flips her hair. I, yeah. I love that because it actually came out of the actress was told that she needed to find a pose. And so she's like, but why does Black Widow do, do this? And they're like, well, it just, it looks good on film. No one would actually mm-hmm. do that. So she took it from like real life. <laughs> And brought it into the film. Yes. And there's something beautiful about that. I'm kind of like the the like gentle ribbing of a character who's been doing all of this for yes. years. <laughs> exactly. Like kind of the next generation, which I, I just thought mm. was fun. 
yeah uh, that was that was such a great movie when you talk about family and family dynamics I think that was that was a really good one do you mind if we talk about another found family um sure with so guardians of the galaxy when we're talking about this topic kind of came up for me because I actually just rewatched it like last week and the beginning sequence of when you have Peter and you have Gamora you have Groot and Rocket and they're all fighting with each other over the infinity stone and yeah. it's just this delightful like introduction to fi- found yes. family of them <laughs> kind of completely undercutting each other and it also shows how well matched they all are like how evenly matched their skills were yes but having them have a place to go like going from that giant free-for-all fight to when they're finally like fighting together kind of made that you know we talked about contrast that beautiful giving that arc some place to go where they have to actually rely on each other they tend to be very lone characters and then all of a sudden they have to in order to defeat Ronan they do have to literally bring their hands together and and none of their strength separately is enough like they have Mm. to do it together yeah it makes that kind of we are Groot moment like so satisfying when each person plays that part of that kind of end result Exactly. And it speaks a lot to having um, writing ensemble cast, right? Yeah. Where how can you introduce all of these important people in a way that kind of shows off who they are? And we talked about that fight scene. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm thinking about when you have those character defining moments, like those opening chapters, like them doing something that's action, it's moving, but it's showing them, showing you who they are, you know, and then they went to jail. That was literally the only way you can get them to work together. The common interest and in, that will make them drop that infinity stone was let's get out of jail together, right? Yes. So I think when you're writing ensemble cast and, and keeping all of that in mind, when you have them so different characters, you have to give them something that they will drop their initial goal to work with you yes. to do that one. So I think that was very well played as far as, you know, we're all in jail. So, you know, well, you know, Rocket had the plan, but Rocket needed all of you guys, you know, and to to get out of jail. So I think that was, that was pretty cool and getting them together and not just throwing them together for the sake of throwing them together. It's a great example too of forced proximity though, you know, like they would have very easily gone their own ways and yet here we have them stuck together. And so they're kind of forced to work together, like you said, and, and kind of forced to get to know each other a little bit then too mm-hmm. from that experience. I think it re- makes me think too, like, or it's a good reminder to me to not be too nice to my found family, <laughs> like to not let them get along yes. too well right away, to not make it too easy for them to kind of force them into situations yeah. where that are difficult, that are hard, that they're going to have conflict, but that have to, they have to kind of work together to get out of that. Yeah. And, and as a writer, that's, that's hard to pull yeah. off, right? That's, that's that's a challenge, you know. When I was writing the Spellkeeper, that was one of the things. I had all these strong characters, and it's like, not even the two chosen ones like each other. Like, how was this gonna work? Like, you know, like, like yeah. you guys have to save the world together. Like, but they can't stand each other because they're two mm. polar opposites. And some side characters like the other side characters. So it's like, okay, but it was like put the ones that don't like each other on a quest and just watch them go. Like you said, with that yeah. forced proximity, right? They have to be together for a certain amount of time. 
and just kind of see how that unfolds, you know, but yeah, like you said, you can't be too nice. And that's interesting, isn't it? When you put the two characters that really don't get along or that are really clashing, because that's, you don't want to see the characters just walking along and getting along and like helping each other out all the time. You want to see that where it's like, it's not going to come the easy way. It's going to come the hard way. (laughs) Be like, we're battling it out. I love that. Yeah, you do. And it makes the characters again, like stand out on their own. And it kind of goes back to what we're saying. Like you have to make sure your characters are developed. They can, they can hold the book by themselves in order to make that contrast believable, you know, like just, and show off their strengths and how they complement their strengths. Like I I love that jail scene in Guardians of the Galaxy. It's like Rocket has all of the plans. Like he knows what you have to steal, when you need to steal it, what button you need to push. And only certain people can accomplish those things, right? So I think that was very much fun to watch and how that kind of all unfolds. Well, and during the scene, as he's explaining the plan, I love Groot because Groot is just completely... There's no reigning Groot in. So Groot no. in the background is going for the thing that they need to get last. <laughs> yes. And Ryan is saying, that's the thing that we're going to get last because then it really goes into, you know, full gear. And he pulls yes. it and then it's like, okay, oh, chaos. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's hilarious. Do you mind if we talk about removing a character from the dynamics and then mm-hmm. letting it kind of change well I I wanted to talk about Sam and Bucky in Falcon Ah, and the Winter Soldier okay and how removing Steve um from that dynamic because Steve is the common denominator with both of them Sam is a good friend with Steve they develop their rapport Bucky has that you know history with Steve and they have that rapport from before But it's like Sam and Bucky, whenever they get together, they don't necessarily have any of that, but they kind of just hang together because (laughs) of that, you know, that common denominator of Steve. And I think how removing Steve from that equation then makes them kind of forced in that show to really grapple with the ways that they're very different, the ways that they attack mm-hmm. problems differently, they're kind of yes. different, um, even mindsets. They both have a very different strategy and kind of when there's something going on, Sam is, a he seems to be very much a man of action, but he will also talk things through. Bucky is very much like he just goes in and does it. And so I, I think just having that, where sometimes removing that character really can force those characters to have to work on different tools or, or come together in different ways. Yeah, absolutely. And, and when I kind of think about, you know, Bucky and Sam, it almost kind of mirrors that same dynamic that Tony and Steve had. Mm-hmm. Because if you kind of think about it, right, like Sam was a soldier too. Yep. And he was dependable. He's loyal. He's like, I'll be there when you need me, but humble enough to know that he did not deserve that shield. He felt like it, he wasn't ready for it yet. And meanwhile, you have Bucky over here where his arm and his modifications made him who he was, mm. right? And now he has to deal with this new identity of, I want to be like Steve. And I think for him being around Sam gave him that little piece of Steve that he felt he needed 
in order to overcome all of his kind of inner demons, even though he wasn't feeling him like that. And Sam being the kind of guy that he is in honoring Steve, he will still be there for Bucky because he knew that's something that Steve wants. So at the end of the day, he's loyal friend to the end, right? So I really loved that they were able to open them up more in a medium because I thought the TV series was a great way to do that, right? And open up in a way where they can take their time exploring those two things in a world that was the consequences of Endgame which you don't see either. It's kind of like they save the world and it's the end. It's like, no, now we got to deal with like people disappeared for five years and just magically showed up. How do we deal with that? You got reprogrammed. How do you deal with that? You know, Sam now had this huge responsibility and I can't get a credit line because I was gone for five years. What do you do? (laughs) Absolutely. And I felt like that really helped because they were both kind of in the same boat of how do we navigate Mm. this new world? And like you said, Steve, Captain America was that common thread. So at least they needed somebody that would at least semi understand kind of like how they're navigating the world and stuff. So yes, I that was super fun to watch. Absolutely. I, there's that therapy scene where they have to use their words together yes. and they're not able to get away. <laughs> I, you know, we talked about like it's almost like putting them in the crucible that they can't climb yes. out of. The only way out is through. Yes. And and I think we don't always see in action films that moment of like forcing them to really like use their words and really yes. verbalize some of what's going on and some of that tension. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that was a really clever way of showing some of their growth maybe and some of that still tension between right. them right showing them as humans at the end yes. of the day doesn't matter how fantastic their abilities and their powers are at the end of the day they're humans and mm. I love how Marvel has them experience loss and experience yes. grief and experience you know, you found your family, but now your family's changed. You found your family. Now yes. the world is different. How are we going to do that? There are consequences to my actions. Like I just can't go around knocking down buildings and think there are going to be no consequences to that. Right. Because normally yes. superheroes and adventures are very thin on character development. They're more focused on yes. plot. But I think with Marvel, they were able to accomplish both by taking mm. the time on the front end to do all the character stuff. So that way, by the time we get to Infinity War and Endgame, you don't have to explain nobody. We are yes. all very clear <laughs> about how Rocket is going to take Thor coming onto his ship yeah. and how, you know, Ant-Man is going to deal with seeing, you know, Captain America. Like We know how it's all going to gel because yes. we are very understanding of who these characters are and how they react in certain situations. I, that makes me think too about like knowing how all of your characters like what the dynamics are between all of them, not just as a group together as like a fam- family, but what are all the individual dynamics and what happens when you mix those d- dynamics up or when you remove a character mm-hmm. or things like that. Um, I think that's something I, I, I had, haven't always thought about as a writer necessarily, <laughs> but I, I just think it's great to know, like, what does every character think about every other character and how do they relate yes. to every other character? Exactly. Yeah. And, and in a group dynamic, everyone plays a role, whether we like realize it or not. And is the character going to embrace that role? Are they going to fight against that role? Is is yeah. and so it's it's yes. really interesting to see. But unless you really know who that character is and being like 
fully fleshed out. I mean, I tell you, coming off the Spellkeeper, writing ensemble cast is hard. Yes. It, it, it seems so easy, but it is really hard because when they're all in the room, everyone has to be seen in some form or fashion. Nobody can yes. get lost. So you really have to think about, you said, like, what role do they play? Yes. What role yes. do they play when they're with a certain group of characters? What role do they play all together? What role do they secretly want to play when they're alone and, and they can't yes. get there? Like all of those different things you have to think about as a writer and as an ensemble cast, they're fun, but man, they're hard. Yeah. So I, I admire Marvel all day. <laughs> like you have all of these people <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> with all these giant personalities empowers some are from earth some aren't some were born in the lab mm -hmm. some weren't and just yes. how do, how does that all gel together you know i love looking at that from like the energy of the characters mm -hmm. and maybe considering how the energy sparks off each other and how maybe it doesn't like maybe yes. that's and one of my favorite parts actually in Infinity War is when Shuri is trying to help with the Mind Stone and, yes. and they're like yes we did it in sequence and she's like why didn't you do it non-sequentially yeah. <laughs> and oh all of a sudden you have Brucey like because we didn't think of it. Right? Like, exactly. Oh, I'm sure you did your best. <laughs> okay. And I love that. It's so cute. Because I, one, I think Shuri is one of those characters that from the moment she was introduced in Black Panther, she had such a great personality that when you yes. throw her in, when she's having those conversations, you know that that's her, you know, who she's going to be. She's going to bring what she knows without, you know, any intimidation from all right. these other Right. Places. And that she has that um, kind of spunk and spirit. And I just, mm -hmm. I, I loved how they, in a moment that could have been different, I love that they brought that out, that they brought out how those personalities would mesh and gel. And even that scientific understanding of mm -hmm. the, you know, who, who knows what and mm -hmm. whose like abilities to understand these complex things will really shine in these moments. And I, I love how they chose to do that. I love that they put Stephen Strange with Iron Man because they actually both tend to be very self-involved and yes. narcissistic. And yeah. I think they don't like each other because they see themselves in each other. They're not the mm. same character. There's definitely yeah. differences, but there's definitely places where it's like, I don't mm. like you. And it's like, yeah, yeah because yeah. they're you. Yeah. In some exactly. Ways. exactly, exactly. And, and just thinking about, um, I kind of thought of Spider-Man in the sense of where he really aged up in the last movie because mm -hmm. again up until then it's like being a superhero is fun and all these cool things he's never had to experience real consequences right yes. so when you talked about like they're removing the dynamics now iron man's not in the picture captain america's not in the picture we removed these two heavy hitters that were the leaders of all so mm -hmm. like we're looking at okay who's gonna head up phase four and i love that marvel thought about if spider-man was going to be now part of like Avengers phase two, you know, like round two, yeah. he has to age up considerably. He has to go through some stuff. And that's what I loved about the last Spider-Man movie is that he really grows into like, this is not just fun anymore. There are consequences, mm -hmm. there's grief, there's loss and, and, and all of those kind of things. So I thought that was really cool that they, I say like he aged them up, 
so that way he can be on the same plane as like a Doctor Strange and like a you know a, a Sam and Bucky that are going through kind of their own thing and, and it, so it makes sense yes well and that with great what is it great with great power comes great responsibility thank you yeah that's, that's that's the line that's that's Absolutely. the whole theme of everything absolutely Everything. you know it's usually handled in that first film like yes. we've obviously seen these three rounds of reboots yes. and it's usually in that first film that he has that loss and I think by bringing that those losses kind of towards the end mm-hmm. of the his film journeys like we could say that Iron Man was a pretty significant loss because of that mentor-mentee relationship but I think the loss he faces in this last film yes was so profound and it, it gutted me I'm I was yeah. <laughs> yeah. and that I think allowed it to resonate in a way that it, it it resonated in the first films of the other series but it allowed him to have his kind of childhood with the yes. like growing mm-hmm. into his skills yes. and then facing that grief that wound I think that having to see him grapple with those wounds on a lot of different sides all at once kind of gave it that mm-hmm. additional power yes, so that we can really understand how profound it is rather than having seen it the same way, you know, twice, yes. potentially, um, we kind of get to experience it anew, kind of in a very new and profound way. And I think, I think this time around, it was because he wasn't alone in that, right? We've gotten to this yes. point where there were other characters that understood mm-hmm. what that wound felt, right? Mm-hmm. And gave them ways on how to handle that or how to make those big decisions like, okay, this is not a game anymore. So you're going to have to do that self-sacrificing thing in order to save the world, right? Yes. So I think it just added that extra layer of that profoundness mm-hmm. and you really felt that loss because you saw him go through so many things and accomplish so much. But it kind of feels like this is like you are really initiated into superhero land now because you understand the consequences of your actions. You understand that you may lose people along the way or people closest to you will always be in danger. And and, and that really, like I said, I felt like he really grew. So I'm like, I'm really excited to see how he goes now because he isn't just this, you know, bare faced kid, like, you know, oh, but I can't save the world now. I've got homework to do. Like, no, like it's not, <laughs> I can't go right now. My aunt's going to kill me. No, we're past that stage. Yes. Right? And I think Marvel overall really took the action genre and gave that human element to it with mm-hmm. its characters. Because yes. like I said, a lot of action films tend to be very thin on the character development. And it's just about how big the explosions are, or the villains are, or the magic are, or the tech or whatever, but they really just brought it down to a human level. So that's why, you know, mm-hmm. you felt gutted at Infinity War yes. when literally half of them disappeared, you know, and you felt gutted at the end of Endgame where, you know, spoiler, sorry, but yes. that still <laughs> didn't make it, you know, Absolutely. <laughs> and, you know, and Gamora was sacrificed and you felt gutted because yes. it was like you were so attached to these characters for like, 12 plus movies now you know or even somebody like Wanda with WandaVision like yes that wasn't very big on the theatrics or whatever but dang on dealing with loss and grief like that just hit you hard right yes so you understand where she's going from at this point so I think Marvel does 
an excellent job with really just humanizing these characters just and deliver on the big fight scenes and magic and all of that kind of stuff. Absolutely. What I love about that with Marvel delivering, I love going back into Spider-Man. They could have phoned it in with their bringing in other characters. They didn't have to do the depth of kind of research and going back into those old stories and saying, okay, where are the wounds of these characters? They could have just brought them in. I love that they specifically bring them in and explore their different wounds and the different sacrifices that they made and the different costs. Um, I, I loved how they did Andrew Garfield's The Amazing Spider-Man. They forced him to grapple with the loss of Gwen that we don't really ever get to see on any type of level even with the villains from his stories that yes. had situations happen to them. How did they to- get to that villain? How, how yes. did they become a villain? Because we're one choice away, right? Absolutely. We all had wonderful and good intentions, but we are one choice away, whether we are the hero or the villain, and depending on how you look at it. And yes, I love that they did that. And the wonderful thing about being a writer is we don't have 120 minutes to do it. We yeah. can do it in 300, 400 pages, right? <laughs> right. Which Absolutely. is great. So to see it boiled down in the movie is impressive, right? Yes. Looks, we can take the time to like uncover those layers and explore those, those character moments in depth. So that way, when we get to that big climax scene, it really, you really feel it. Like it, it makes such an impact after, even after the movie's over, after the book is done. I think looking at even where something may have not been intentional, but where all of a sudden you read something that you've written and all of a sudden think of it in a new way and think of, well, how can I bring this forward? Where, what would the natural progression of this action that they took in this story, where would that lead to, um, to the next one? I love the idea of all of a sudden switching out the lens of, okay, this Yes, this story might be encapsulated here, but what is the next like evolution of that? Where where then will they go? And that kind of goes back to the, you know, Tony going through PTSD, like you said, in Iron Man 3, because of what happened in the Avengers. <laughs> and I love how the, those kind of natural progressions are really explored. And, yes. and even with um, Andrew Garfield's Spider-Man, how he gets to save his brother, if we want to call Tom Holland, Spider-Man, his yeah. brother, <laughs> the, the pain that he went through um, exactly. with, by saving men, Jay. And I, I thought the attention to that of seeing, you know, what would his character then try to do in this situation was, was really clever. Exactly. And it all goes back to like, as we as writers have to be so intentional about what we put our characters through and what we include in our story. I mean, I know for me, I spend way longer on character than I do with just plotting it out. Because if we didn't understand Andrew Garfield didn't, wasn't able to save Gwen, but he saved MJ, that was an impactful moment. It made sense. Not just the fact that he saved her and we just go on with our day Mm -hmm. or having consequences to your actions. Like if you have an action scene, you need to have that downtime. Your characters yes. need to process what just happened. We don't just say, okay, we put a band-aid on and keep going. Like, no, they need to, 
that action scene has had to have them grow in a way. It has to push them along that character arc. It has to get them to what type of hero do they need to be at the time the villain comes. Yes. And that's what 95% of your book is. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that's, that's basically all it is. It's like, where do they need to be? How do they need to feel? What do they need to get over? Who do they need to get along with? Even if so, a little bit. What, what do they have to conquer in order to be the hero that they need to be at the very end of the book in order to defeat that villain? Because that villain is just like that hero, just made a different choice. Yeah. You know, so always being aware and intentional. It's not just, you know, magic and, you know, <laughs> unicorns and monsters. You know, that's fun, yeah. but it has to make sense. It has to be tied to the character and their journey. That's why I feel like no matter if it's an action or it's, you know, a romance novel, everything that happens has to be tied to the character in order for the reader to feel it. Because you're there for the character all day. Yes. That's know? such a great point. I mean, I think you can you can do a, a movie that's just action and band-aids and whatever, but you're not going to get the kind of um, connection from your audience and that kind of loyalty from the audience that I think Marvel inspires because of exactly what you're saying, because it is about so much more than that. And there are these massive character arcs and these well-developed um identities and all of that um yeah. like that's the stuff that bombs your audience yeah. to your story even a side character i will watch a whole tv series with louise from ant-man recapping every marvel movie yes. i will sign a petition for that all day <laughs> because of him and his flashbacks to me and that may be just his role he is that comedic relief will break down what just happened in a movie but i will see a movie with him all day doing that the entire time it's wonderful you know I not everybody has to save the world but <laughs> when you need that Luis yes. or you need that side person or you need a Wong then you know that they're there well and it's funny because we were talking about WandaVision actually um before and there's you know there's so many great characters in that too whereas I really can't wait for them to bring out Whatever it is that they're going to do with Monica Rambo, I am here yes. for it. I yes. can't wait. <laughs> and she doesn't get a ton of screen time, but I'm excited to see how they're building up her character. Even Dr. Darcy Lewis and yes. FBI agent um, Jimmy Wu. I'm like, yes. give them their X Files yes. show that they, you know, that we all deserve. Yes. <laughs> and it's intentional because Monica Absolutely. gave Captain Marvel her suit. Absolutely. She played a Marvel part. She was little, but she played a major part in Captain Marvel. You know, Doctor yes. Wu with his little, you know, card tricks and Ant Man, and it came out in WandaVision. I was like, I'm here for that all day. That's like it. I love that. You know, <laughs> and Darcy was comic relief in Thor, which you have That's Thor amazing. as a serious character, and Natalie Portman's character was serious, but you had yes. Darcy, and Darcy comes to the rescue again in WandaVision, right? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Not everybody has to be the hero, but when it comes to their role, I mean, you know what you're in for, even if you haven't seen them in like 10 movies, you know exactly how it's going to be. <laughs> oh, there's so much going on in Marvel and it's amazing. I feel like we could keep talking for so long. I, I have no idea how the writers keep track of it all, honestly, and do such a great job of keeping track of it all and pulling everything back in. Um but this has been so fun, MJ. Thank you so much for joining us. Oh, I'm so happy you guys had me. This was so, so much fun. 